0: Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Beautiful, beautiful. It's just good We can get so caught up in the kind of the religious thing. If you come in, you sing some songs, you go like this. Yes, God, thank you. You nod during the message and read the scripture because that's what you're supposed to do. And you go home and you forget to be human in the midst of a gathering with other humans. Amen. So it is good to remember to say hello, to greet people, to have an amazing cup of coffee. Amen. Yes, I know, Lucille, we were talking about the coffee earlier, how good it is. Um, it's good to be human and enjoy being human, and it's good to be seen and see other people who are here following Jesus and learning to follow Jesus. So I'm so happy you're here this morning. Um, If you have a Bible, could you open up to uh, Mark chapter 2? We're going to read verses 18 to 22 in just a moment. Uh, Pastor Paul was with us last week. How many of you loved hearing Pastor Paul's message last week on the rich young ruler? Yeah, you can give it up for Paul. He's not here, but I'll let him know you clapped for him. Uh, that's okay. He's down in Mawa at our Mawa campus today. But, uh, you know, uh, something that we're doing is, is we've taking the first like five, six months here of the year and we're slowly studying through some different themes in the book of Mark. Uh, and, and so we spent a January, uh, Talking about following Jesus, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And today, uh, we're and, and last week, we started a new theme talking about what is true religion. Uh, some of you may or may not use the, the, this term of, of, well, what's your religion? Well, I'm a Christian. Some of us, we feel like maybe that's not the term to use these days. But did you know uh, James, the writer of the book of James, he, he says that there is such a thing as, as true religion and good religion, right? Religion that God loves and wants is this, and he goes on and defines what it is. Uh, but sometimes the word religion, has like a negative sense too, to be religious or overly religious. And so uh, there's a lot of run-ins that Jesus has in the book of Mark with this group called the Pharisees. Everyone's like, boo, Pharisees. You know the thing that some of my nerd Bible scholar friends have told me, did you know Jesus was actually a Pharisee? This is totally random, has nothing to do with my message, but you're all going, this can't be true. He was, and and the historical context of Jesus, the reason he has so many run-ins with the Pharisees is because he's part of that group, and there were different uh, ways that the Pharisees thought about interpreting the scripture, and Jesus' particular take on it was very unique within uh, the the Pharisee community, And, and so he was really, like, they were annoyed with him because he's in their community, and he's not doing things the way he's supposed to do as a good Pharisee. Uh, So it's really interesting. That's just a little side tip. That's free. You don't have to pay for that one today. Um, That's a joke, but uh, you know, I, I say all that to say, like, sometimes we can be in church, and we can be around people that are Maybe uh, hyper-religious, or we can find ourselves becoming hyper-religious. We can find ourselves being a little more like the Pharisees than like Jesus. And Jesus has all these run-ins with them. And so we're going to take the next few Sundays to talk about some of these run-ins that Jesus has with the Pharisees. What does the writer of Mark want to teach us about following Jesus from these stories? So Paul kicked us off last week with a great overview. The rich young ruler did everything right. Anything else you need, Jesus? I've done it all. I'm, I'm good. Just let me know if I'm missing anything. And he says, well, you have to do one thing. You have to sell everything you have, give it to the poor, all the money to the poor, and then come follow me. And he walks away sad because he had great wealth. And sometimes what happens with us when we get caught up in religion is we think, I'm doing all the right things, I'm doing all the right Jesus things, but we don't realize things that aren't technically written as a command in the Bible, like sell all of your possessions. That's not really a command in the Bible. But there are those things that we say are like, I'm good, right? And then Jesus says, actually, this thing's getting in the way of you following me wholeheartedly. And we find our loopholes and excuses and reasons why we can have them and things like that. And so our challenge in these next several weeks is to learn how to live in true religion. And so we're going to read Mark chapter 2 verses 18 to 22 and see what Jesus wants to teach us this morning. You can follow along with me. We'll have it on the screen. Once when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus and they asked Why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them, but someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask that this morning you would lead us in the invitation that your spirit has for us. Lead us in the invitation that you have to walk in your truth. Lead us in the invitation you have to follow you with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, how many of you are originally from New Jersey or you have lived in New Jersey a lot of your life? Keep your hands up nice and high. Have any of you figured out how to drive in New Jersey yet and navigate the road system? A few of you have. A few of you have. Um, I need you to pray for me. Uh, so I, I'm not native to New Jersey. Uh, I've lived all over the country. But um, I, I remember when I first moved to New Jersey. Uh, I was coming to to go to college down here and and my experience, I remember one of the first things I remember was how do you find out how to get anywhere on the highways and the road system and and everything like that? I, I don't know if you all are aware that are from New Jersey, but like jug handles are not normal. That's, that's, that's just, like, not a thing. Like, I've lived in a lot of places, like, across the country. I've lived in Chicago. I've lived out on the West Coast. Like, I've lived in a lot of places, and I've never seen road systems like I've seen in New Jersey. Maybe it's your spiritual gift. I don't know. But, but you know, maybe it is, like, a normal thing in other places, but I've never seen this. And, and most people that are not from here, I find, are always like, H- What? how do I get anywhere? This doesn't make sense. You know what I'm talking about. So I've been here like almost 20 years now, and I still don't Understand, like I try following my GPS on my phone, right? And I've got Google Maps dialed in. I've got where I'm going. I know, and I'm following it. And it's following the blue line. I just got to follow the way the blue line takes me. And so I've got to get off here soon. And I'm ready to get off. And 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 it's really it gets extra pressure when you're in those moments of I need to get where I'm going. There there's no error for being late here. You know what I'm talking about? Or or Jillian calls me like I'm uh, at like a meeting or something, and uh, and then in another part of the state, and she calls like, "Are you going to be home?" home like late. Are you going to be home? The kids have been crazy today. Just be great. Don't worry. I'm half an hour away. I'm half an hour away. I'm going to, I'm now going to be there in about an hour. Somehow I'm going through the Lincoln tunnel. That's a true story that happened in the last like six months that happened. The only time that I'm sure in New Jersey that I'm going to get where I need to go on the roads is when I'm following a friend in their car who knows the roads inside and out. So those of you who have navigated successfully and you know how to get around, like I wanna follow you. I trust you. You know the roads. You understand how the jug handles work. You understand when there's the exit and it's saying get off that exit, it doesn't really mean get off that exit. It means get off at the next exit. Yeah, I don't understand. Why does it work that way? It's like a secret code you all have if you're from New Jersey. But, but anyway, like I, I trust when someone knows the roads and I can follow them, right? More than my GPS. I know, okay, they're getting over in the left lane. I'm going to get over in the left lane because we're getting prepared to get off here. I get over the, another lane. They know there's construction here. You never follow the signs for construction in this area. You're going to go this way instead. It's much easier. and you're gonna... So when I have someone like that I'm following, It makes the travel much simpler and I get where I'm going to need to go. When I follow my GPS instructions, I can often miss where I need to go, but when I'm following a friend, I can trust that I will get where I need to go every time. This is so much like our life as Christians. The GPS of our faith is is kind of like the the commands or maybe the traditions or the practices of a particular stream. Uh, if I could use that language, a stream of church or a tradition of church you grew up in, and, and and some of us even if we didn't grow up in church, believe it or not, you have you have your vis- version of of how to interpret the Bible, for example, or what what the Bible or Christianity is is about. So whether you grew up in church or not, you have some ideas about this is how this is supposed to go. And we have all of these things about what a good Christian's supposed to do. That's like the GPS of our Christian life. And a lot of these things can be really, really helpful. They help us make sense of things, kind of put things in categories. It makes it a little simpler for us to talk about and relate to each other with. It can be super helpful. But when I focus on these things at the expense of following Jesus himself, I often get lost because just like a GPS on a New Jersey highway, I can misinterpret what the scriptures or my faith tradition are saying to do in a particular moment. And I can find myself going through a spiritual Lincoln tunnel, if you will. Going in a direction that Jesus never intended for me to go. And if I could just put this another way, I think what we often can get in trouble with as Christians is prioritizing religion over relationship. Our... our, Things that we know this is what I'm supposed to do. This is why I read this verse. I know what that that verse is about because people have told me I've read it a hundred times that way. And and there are so many things sometimes in scripture like that or things that are uh, additional to scripture. Well, this is how you pray. This is how you do this. This is how you do that. All of these things where we can go, well, I'm following this and we get so caught up like my GPS in the car. This is how I do it. And I actually miss the relationship, the very person of Jesus that I'm supposed to be following. Are you all with me? So when we do this, here's what happens. We can end up making judgments about other people because, oh, they're not doing it the right way. Or we put unnecessary burdens, especially on new believers, because we say, well, here's all the things you need to do. Or I can't believe you're not doing it right. You're not doing it the way you're supposed to. And because Jesus said, you know, my burden is easy. My yoke is light. He didn't say put a heavy burden on me, right? So what happens when when we are focused on religion over relationship is we create church people who are really, really good at following their GPS, but they don't always get where they need to go. Are you with me? So, but here's the good news is that Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us his Holy Spirit as he says himself to his disciples. He would have his very presence alive in them to lead them into all truth. And what Jesus, I believe, is inviting us into in this passage today is to choose relationship over religion, to not miss relationship with Jesus. In the midst of religiosity for Jesus. This is the issue that's at stake in our passage today in Mark chapter 2. Just a little bit of context. Just before this passage that we read, Jesus had called Levi, also known as Matthew, the tax collector, to follow him. You remember, we talked about this story uh, three, four weeks ago. And Jesus invited Levi... In to follow him. And so Levi, in kind of celebrating this and, and being in relationship with Jesus like this, says, Hey, come over to my house. We're going to have a big meal. We're going to have a big party. I'm inviting all my friends. And so Jesus and all his disciples go over there. If you remember, like I said, we, we discussed this a few weeks ago. And here's Jesus and all of his disciples eating this meal with a tax collector. Remember how. Bad tax collectors are. It's no good. You don't associate with tax collectors. They are traitors to the Jewish people. And the other group of people that's there are sinners. These are people who are living outside of Jewish law. They're not obeying God's law. And and here's Jesus, this rabbi, with all of this company he was not supposed to keep. And, And not only that, but you know, you need to remember, Jesus, the, the Pharisees are concerned here. They remember, you've you, you got to be above reproach. You, you, you can't have people questioning what's happening in these dinners. You've got all these young, impressionable men and women, no doubt, following you, Jesus. You need to set a better example than to take them into these dinner parties. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they've been having a field day with all this stuff. They can't believe that Jesus and his disciples would spend time with those people. So Jesus reminds them in that moment, I- I'm not here for those who think they're well and spiritually healthy and have it all together. I'm here for the broken. I'm here for those who know they are lost. And we talked about that a few weeks ago, that who's qualified to follow Jesus? Those who know they're broken. We're, we, we are those sinners and those tax collectors. And so now, immediately after that story, the Pharisees have come back because they still have some concerns about how Jesus is conducting his ministry. And they're concerned, like I said, about how he's leading a whole generation astray. You, your young Jewish men that you have here, Jesus, can't think it's okay to have a meal with a prostitute. This is not Okay. This guy, Jesus, is carousing and partying from their perspective with the best of them. You are destroying a generation with your false teaching, Jesus. What do their parents and families think of this? And so they've come back, and they don't come by themselves. They come with friends, maybe people that uh, are are going to endear themselves to Jesus. They come with John the Baptist's disciples. John the Baptist, if you don't know some context, was Jesus' cousin. He he led a powerful move of God. that was He was there to invite and declare that the kingdom was about to come, that Jesus was about to come. And there was this massive move of people repenting of their sins and coming back to God. And it was a powerful move. So these were disciples of John. It was a powerful move of God. God had done amazing things. And so they're like, let's bring them along. They'll be able to convince Jesus, okay, they're not going to go along with how we see things, but at least the followers of his cousin, John, they'll listen to him because they're authentic believers. And so here are these people coming to Jesus. Well, listen, Jesus, we, we want you to know we have additional concerns. Your disciples are not fasting. We aren't the only ones who think so, just so you know. We've brought along John's disciples, you know, your cousin. You honored him so much before he was executed by by Herod. You know, his followers also have a problem with what's happening here. Jesus. And so they go again. Why are your disciples not doing what they're supposed to do? They're not fasting. Everyone is supposed to do this. This is what God wants. We've been doing this for centuries. It was, a, uh, it was a weekly uh, thing. They had a practice of, of fasting multiple times a week by this first century time uh, in, in the Jewish tradition. But it was, there was no command to do this in the law of Moses. Yet they, they would fast, or at least to fast weekly like this. There was no command to fast multiple times a week. But because Jesus appeared to be so cavalier with fasting and hanging out with all of these questionable people, they started to get concerned. One commentator put it this way. It's like they were starting to go, if Jesus is questioning this tradition, what aspects of the law of Moses is Jesus ready to throw out? If he's willing to upset this, how far will he go? You're all familiar with maybe the slippery slope argument, Right? This is exactly what this is. Well, if he's willing to challenge that, what else is he going to challenge? And so Jesus responds with three simple illustrations. A groom and his friends at a wedding celebration, a patch of cloth to repair a hole in some clothes, and freshly pressed wine being poured into old wineskins to hold it. So a wedding in that day was one of the few moments in a person's life where they could celebrate with absolute abandon and not worry about the cares of life. You, you think life for us is difficult? They didn't have air conditioning. You were so heavily taxed that you could barely eke out a living. Only the most wealthy people were able to live comfortable lives. You you had to hope that you could grow a few vegetables or some kind of grain in a little tiny plot next to your house, or you had to hope that there was enough money to buy the bread that you needed before the next tax came in. And you couldn't keep bread in your fridge either, by the way; those hadn't been invented yet. So a wedding was a time; it was a festival that would go on for an entire week. This was a moment where they could say, "You know what." This is a a new day, it's a new dawn, a new family's being created here. You need to celebrate what God's doing. And so what would happen is the rabbis and and the synagogue leaders, they would cancel everything in the synagogue those weeks. The Pharisees would suspend their fasting when there was a wedding going on. It was ridiculous to think you were not gonna go and enjoy the wedding. And they are like, no, 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 I have to fast. So no one did that. And so Jesus is saying, the same thing. Do you fast during a wedding? It was totally normal for them to just enjoy and celebrate what God had done bringing this family together. Now, a wedding was also used as a way of talking about the Messiah's return in first century Judaism. So the wedding, it was an idea that God was going to send his Messiah that was going to rescue his people, and it was going to be like a marriage of the bridegroom coming to his bride and restoring and making all things new, and everything would be right in the world when the Messiah came. So what Jesus is doing here is two-sided. He's saying, would you fast when a wedding's going on? And he's also making the point of that wedding, that cosmic wedding that you talk about, about the Messiah coming— it's happening right now in front of you and you're missing it. You're missing it. You're trying to focus on doing the right things out of your tradition and religion when I'm right here in front of you. Why are you still arguing with me about whether or not my disciples fast? And notice, by the way, he doesn't say they're never gonna fast. He says, why would they do that right now? And he makes a couple of other examples to just talk about how silly this is. A a patch of cloth that's described here, it's a patch uh, of cloth that hasn't been seasoned so that it could attach to the clothing properly. The the Greek word there used is specifically a patch that hasn't been uh, created and cured so that it it wouldn't stretch. He said, you wouldn't put a piece of cloth on that hadn't been seasoned properly before putting it on the clothes? Who does that? I don't know if any of you patch clothing or not. But maybe you'd know a little something about that. And then he says, when you pour new wine in, you, you can't put the new wine into old wine skin. Why? Because there's a fermentation process with the wine. There's gases being released. That wine is expanding. So if you use a, a skin that's already been stretched to capacity, it's going to rip as soon as that w- new wine starts expanding. So he's like, you always put new wine into new wineskins. skins. Duh. How many of you put wine into your animal wine skin this morning before coming over here? Some of you, amen. That's funny. A couple of modern day examples maybe that hit home better. How many of you use wood in a wood stove to heat your house at least in part? This is West Milford. I feel like there's, am I the only one? Really? Okay, one. Thank God. I was like, I like feel like I'm talking to like people in West Milford. Like this is like, we don't have, you know, you're using oil. For the most part, unless you like live kind of right around here and you've got some natural gas, or you're using pellet wood stoves and different things like that, right? Propane, some people on propane, right? We, we try and use a little wood, especially like with the price of oil this year. I was like, all right, we're going to get wood. And so we got a, a load of wood delivered, and it's supposed to be seasoned, right? Some of it was seasoned. So the modern application of this is you wouldn't cut down a tree and immediately put that wood in your wood stove, would you? No, you've got to season that wood for a year. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. This is as crazy what you're doing right now, asking why they're fasting and, and missing the fact that I'm right here because you're so tied to your religious practice. That's just as silly as putting that wet, unseasoned wood in your wood stove. Why would you, who would do that? Another example, you wouldn't put pineapple on pizza, Right? Oh, okay, I, maybe I hit a nerve there. That's, maybe I hit a nerve. Half of you know what I'm talking about. The other half are still living in darkness and deceived. You will come home. It's okay. But, but you hear what I'm saying. Jesus is saying, like, you're trying to, you, you're, this is so obvious. You're, I'm right here, and you're still trying to pay attention to your GPS, and I'm right here trying to lead you. like the Pharisees and, and John's disciples, we often choose religion over relationship, don't we? Sometimes, honestly, it's like easier. Relationships are hard. Following Jesus is hard. It's easier if I feel like I'm the master of the whole checklist. I could feel really prideful when I, I did it. I hit everything on the checklist. Sometimes it looks like this when we choose religion over relationship. Sometimes we have more concern with having right doctrine than right relationship with God, ourselves, and others. Sometimes we make faith about an intellectual assent to, well, I know the right things, I have the right answers, and it doesn't matter so much that I live the right way. A lot of times when we're choosing religion over relationship, we're very critical and judgmental. They're not doing it right. They need to get enlightened. I know, I know how to do it. My church knows how to do it. That denomination over there has got it wrong. What are they doing? We have a hyper-religious answer and solution often when people have real needs and struggles. It's very easy to say, maybe you just need to pray more. Maybe you just need to read the Bible more. When there's something deeper going on that needs to get touched so that their prayer and their scripture reading can get to that deep place. A lot of times people that are living out of religion instead of relationship, there's more concern for what is done. We have to do these things and less concern for how it is done. Is it being done out of selfish ambition? Are we doing this out of fear? Or am I doing this out of love? could put that uh, next slide up for me, please. Uh, Just a quick example of a couple things. Religion looks like being critical, as I said. Relationship with Jesus looks like compassion. Religion looks like being concerned, as I said, with right doctrine. Relationship looks like being concerned with a right heart. Relationship looks like a heavy burden, or excuse me, religion looks like a heavy burden. Relationship looks like a light burden. And we get caught up in religion over relationship so easily. And I just want to highlight really quickly two ways that we get caught up in religion over relationship from these two groups of people that come to Jesus, the Pharisees and John's disciples. And I think at different times in our lives, we probably find ourselves doing one of these two things and operating in one of these two ways first the the pharisees the pharisees were stuck in religion instead of relationship because they had enmeshed their tradition with what was actually biblical and, and they could not distinguish between the two many of us who who struggle as i said with religion versus relationship we talk about fear of compromise or a slippery slope kind of thing well if we start doing that then what else is that gonna to lead to? That's usually, not always, but usually a sign that we have so connected our tradition or the church uh, tradition that we grew up with, the practices, we have overconnected that with what is actually biblically necessary and called to, and, and, and we can't distinguish between the two. So they say, well, if they're doing this, they're obviously gonna throw out the whole Bible. This is what the Pharisees had done. Why aren't they fasting? Jesus could have responded if he was a little more of a, a Western thinker. They don't respond that way in Jewish culture. They just answer in riddles and then you have to figure it out. That's how they, that's how they would debate back and forth in, in rabbis in that day. If he was a Western thinker, he would have said, what? where is it in the law of Moses? Show me chapter and verse. It's not there. And so some of us, because we get so stuck and we're enmeshed with what's tradition, well, this is what I'm used to, this is what I grew up with, this looks different, I think you're just trying to throw out the whole Bible, are you even biblical, what's going on? We, we, we've confused what's happening and we get concerned that things are gonna go very south in the church community we're a part of or if we see another teacher or another denomination or another Christian friend of ours, well, what are they? What are you getting into? Now, there there is real uh, things we have to discern with this, right? We, we live in a culture at the moment with, with a climate where people feel uh, very concerned with issues like this, don't we? We, we are in a, a time when the, the tectonic uh, plates of culture are shifting very, very rapidly, there are things in the wider culture that are changing often, and it also feels like things within—we'll just use evangelical Christianity for now to zoom in a little bit—it also feels like things in evangelical Christianity are changing at the same time, and we wonder, are they changing in the same way? Is this a compromise with the culture, or are we just kind of going with the culture? Do you ever feel that tension, any of you? Like, is this church or is this leader just kind of, like, capitulating to what's happening in culture? You can be honest, it's okay. But if, that, if that's you, you ever feel that tension? I think we, we have to ensure, there's a real need to ensure that we're living, practicing, and teaching theological orthodoxy, right? Yes, we wanna be biblically sound in the way we choose to live our lives and the way we teach, amen? It's, that's, that we want to live out the story of Scripture that finds its fulfillment in Jesus. And we want to live out the life of Jesus the way he has told us to live it out. Absolutely. We believe the Bible is authoritative. It teaches us how to follow Jesus. But at the same time, like I said, we need to be aware of how easily we start marrying our tradition to biblical orthodoxy. So, like I said, uh, well i've had've just as an example I had someone tell me once that they would not take communion unless I read the first Corinthians uh, eleven passage where where Paul says, "For I receive what I pass on to you and they wouldn't take communion and oh, you did it one time and I took communion that day now it's a great scripture and there's and there is traditions of the church that that practice that and do that there's nothing wrong with it it's good. But to say, well, you didn't do that, therefore, you're doing it wrong. As an example. There's other examples in, in the church history in the United States. Uh, during. I'm, I'm reading a book on, on Ulysses S. Grant right now. And, and uh, just during that whole time, it was amazing to see how theologians in the North and the South both had biblical cases for, for slavery and against slavery. Well, it's right here in the Bible. It's it's right here without doing the deeper work of context and culture and understanding how they were being influenced by the world around them and things like that. So, So there are all kinds of things where we can marry our tradition to what scripture is teaching us in the way of Jesus and it can be very destructive to us. That's the example he's giving. That patch and that clothing, it rips up, it's destroyed. That wineskin, ripped and destroyed, you lose the wine and the wineskin. You see, this kind of combination is destructive to us. It destroys us. It destroys other people. So instead of recognizing some of what is happening here, we, we get concerned. We go, well, you know, I, I can't, I, I don't know that I can open myself up to that or I can, I can do that. Where, where are you going with this? Right? Right? Our, our cultural climate causes us to question. Well, if our church starts talking about justice for social minorities, are, are we just trying to capitulate to the to the culture here? You, you you feel that tension? I'm just trying to be honest. Like, do you ever feel that tension? And you're like, oh, I, I feel like I've got alarm bells going off when we hit that subject, or if someone starts talking about how how we need to love the gay community. Uh oh. We start going, oh, well, where's he going with this? This is a slippery slope. This is a slippery slope. Is it possible, just those two examples, and there are plenty of others, is it possible that we have somehow married our own church experience, our own church tradition too tightly to what is biblical? Now again, I'll say it one more time. I hate that I have to say this, but I feel like I need to. We wanna be biblically, theologically orthodox yes we are not questioning that what we are questioning here today is what jesus did with the pharisees they had tied too much of what they their tradition was and tied it too much into what actual actual biblical living was but but here's why i think we're afraid of this so much in in our culture Uh, everything like i said is so disorienting right All, all culture just seems to be shifting where, where people stand on different things seems to be shift, shifting, and, and I found this really helpful. Uh, they say those who do not loom, uh, learn from their history are doomed to repeat it, but I think if we learn for our his, from our history, it can be really helpful. Uh, something really helpful that could help us discern these kinds of tensions when we're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, what's happening now? Where are we going? It is actually by looking 500 years ago at the Reformation. So what happened with the Protestant Reformation, for those who are newer to church, we're considered a Protestant church. We're not a Catholic church. We're not like an Eastern Orthodox or Greek, Greek church. We're, we're part of the Protestant tradition. It's about 500 years old. And what was happening is church leaders all throughout Europe were starting to question some of the traditions and practices of the Catholic church which at the time was the only church institution in Europe. There wasn't like you could go to a Baptist church or some other kind of church. The church just meant that everyone was Catholic. There was no difference. And so they started asking questions, but here's what they were doing. They were not questioning the authority of scripture. They were questioning some of the application of scripture. And and more than just the application, they were questioning some of the additional material that felt like it was getting added. Was the burden getting heavier? This felt like religion, not like relationship. And believe it or not, you might not know this, but none of the reformers across the board ever had any interest in leaving the Catholic Church. That's why it's called the Reformation. They wanted to see reform in the church. And it became clear after a while that that wasn't going to happen. And that's what began To happen that way. So they wanted reform in the church. Ultimately, unfortunately, that didn't happen. And uh, Carl Truman, who's a, a philosopher, historian, he wrote a book called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. And he talks about how the reformers were not trying to destroy biblical Christianity. They were trying to retrieve biblical Christianity. Are you all with me so far? Okay. Put your thinking caps on for just a minute. So Here's in a similar way, this is what I believe is happening in a lot of the evangelical church right now. There is a work of retrieval that is in process. There are things that we've gone, hold on, hold on. Are we like the Pharisees right now? Are we tying things, marrying things too much to our tradition? Do we need to go back? Do we need to dig deeper? Do we need to understand better for our time and place what the scriptures are saying? So I believe there are, in many places, an act of retrieval happening, and we're trying to get back to the roots of the things of God's kingdom. Not to say we're going to throw everything out we've been doing already. There's so many good things that are happening in our stream of the church, but we're saying, I think we've kind of added some things on that aren't necessary, And, and we need to constantly do this work of retrieval. So The challenge, though, is here's what's happening. In the wider culture, there is a move happening at the same time to not retrieve biblical Christianity, but to destroy biblical Christianity. So these things are happening simultaneously. So we need to get wisdom and get discernment that while there's people asking questions about, hey, we need to get back to this. Let me use the example of like, w- there, there needs to be justice and, and and there's a kingdom thing, there's a biblical thing about how we are interacting with minorities and, and communities in the church, right? Especially in predominantly white uh, evangelical churches. there There is this, okay, we, we've missed something here and we need to get back. If we read that as trying to destroy biblical Christianity... We might throw out something that Jesus is trying to bring our stream of the church back into. So we have to use wisdom. Is this a moment of someone trying to destroy biblical Christianity or is this an act of retrieval and I need to adjust what I've held as tradition? How have I married my tradition, my practice to something that's biblical and how have I confused the two? Does that make sense? You with me? And and so we have to be extremely wise and listen to Jesus because I think we get overly suspicious sometimes. We're like, wait, what's your agenda here? Where are you going with this? And the Pharisees did this. This is what they were doing with Jesus. Hold on, Jesus, what are you doing? What are, you, what are you trying to do here? We've got all of these Jewish people that are already not faithful to Judaism anymore. They're seeing how the Gentiles are living in the Roman Empire and they're saying, I'm just gonna go do that. And here you are, you're trying to undermine the law? And what they didn't realize is that they were actually enmeshed their tradition with what the law actually was. And so you and I, in the same way, we have to ask ourselves, am I actually holding on to something biblical here? Or am I holding on to something that's uh, comfortable to me, that comes out of a tradition, a particular stream of Christianity, and and do I need to completely let it go? Or has it been helpful in a good way for me, and I just need to hold that loosely? Does that make sense? So it's not just the Pharisees. I think that's one of the bigger challenges. But very briefly, the second group that we need to learn how to undo some of this, this stuff with is the people that are like the disciples of John. This is a different group entirely. Normally you read these stories and you see the Pharisees came to Jesus. They challenged him again. They challenged him again. This story is really unique because the Pharisees don't come alone. They come with John's disciples. And like I said, these people were part of the last great move of God in their land, only like a few years before, maybe within the last five, ten years. And John had been executed by this point, he was very, very popular with people, and 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 so these disciples are here, and you kind of feel like the Pharisees are like, all right, we're going to bring you along because you guys see this too, right? This guy's crazy. And so they're, they're bringing them along. They have a, a point uh, where they agree with each other. And and these disciples had been caught up in an amazing move of God. People were coming back to being faithful Jews. They were leaving, uh, many of them leaving the practices of the Gentile communities and, and, and of the sin that was there. And, and But this group had some particular uh practices that they would use. John and his disciples were part of a group called the Aseans. And the Aseans lived very uh, 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 what's I can't think of the word right now. They they lived very kind of stoic lives. So John dressed in camel hair, right? And he ate locusts and honey, the Bible says. That's describing this very uh intense way and very serious spirituality that they had. They, they removed themselves from the community. That's why uh, John the Baptist was out in the wilderness by the Jordan. They lived almost like monks. They separated themselves from society. They said, the world is evil and we need to get away. And, and so they had this practice of fasting just like the Pharisees did. They were very serious about their prayer. They were going to hunker down and be holy until the Messiah came. And they had good reason to think that this was good for them to live this way and everyone should do it. They'd experienced an incredible move of God. And this was some of the way that they were called to live out of that. But here's the problem with John's disciples. They did not discern that the God of their movement that they were so familiar with was now moving in a new way they did not totally grasp the God of the movement and they loved the movement. And they missed God's very presence who was doing a new thing. Now, some of them were John's disciples and they became disciples of Jesus. They, they got it. They caught something. They said, That's, this, is, this is God. This is God at work. Now they may not have realized totally yet that Jesus was God himself, but they could sense Jesus' spirit. They could sense the spirit of God moving in this new way and they jumped on it. Not everyone had that same heart. And I think for you and I, it's so easy, man. I've been in, in moments with God where he's done something powerful in my life. Have you experienced God do powerful things in your life? Maybe it's the church. If you're, if you're a little older, like you, you got saved in. I remember my dad telling stories of, of the church that he came to faith in. And there was so much life and the power of transformation through Jesus was so evident. That church right now is a shell of its former self they're caught up in the movement and they miss the God of the movement. Man, some of us have like, man, this thing was so good for me and I'm, I'm on this and I, I, I sense God's power in it, but maybe it's been several years since you've had those stories and you're still doing it the same way and you've kind of found yourself now getting caught up in the movement. It's become a form of religion to you. Like God, this is how we did it last time. This is how we did it last time. And he's not working that way. And when we become focused on religion, right, our GPS, we miss the relationship that Jesus is inviting us into, where there's new mercies every morning. There's new ways he's coming to us every day. And he's coming in power with a fresh angle that maybe we've never considered before. Like right now, this Asbury revival that's going on, it's all Gen Z, There's like zero production value in in an age where like worship production, like my backgrounds as a worship leader, man, like the church now has more fancy toys and and like gizmos for flashing lights and stage design and all these things than ever before. I don't know if you've seen videos of of the revival happening there, but on a production level, it's pretty sad. There's I love it. I've got like friends that are there and and they and people I know there and there's like a whiteboard outside and they're just scribbling the schedule for the day on it. It's very low tech. It's not pretty looking at all. It doesn't matter. God's moving. Now, what would ha- what could happen and they could make the mistake of and how often have you and I made this mistake of you know what? You know what's going to make this move better is if we import all this stuff that God did last time. Whether we're doing that, following the old move of God when he's moving in a new way, or or we marry ourselves to the traditions of old and miss that it's not entirely biblical, either way you slice it, we find ourselves religious and not in relationship. I'll close with this. Did you know that the story of the Hebrew people in the book of Exodus, when Moses first brought them out of Egypt, they're free now and he brings them to Mount Sinai. Did you know God actually wanted to meet with the whole nation at the foot of the mountain all together? And they get there and there's thunder and there's lightning and God's presence is showing up and all the people go, hey, we're not doing this. You just tell us what God says we'll be over here. Cool? Cool. And, G- and so Moses goes up and gets the laws on tablets of stone and all the other laws they need to follow closely, gets them written down. But you see, the goal was never for God's people to have the law written on tablets of stone. It was supposed to be written on their hearts. That's what Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-three says. It says, I will put my instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And when the law is still on stone for you, every decision must be black and white. There can be no nuance to your conversation whatsoever. And and you're not actually making decisions out of love for Jesus, yourself, or other people. You you have to make decisions out of, well, here it says, it doesn't say this, there we go. But you see, when the law is written on your heart, you can enter each new situation of life that you're in and you can, informed by the Spirit, say, what would Jesus do in this situation if he were me? How would he call me to live this out right now? But that requires of us a deep level of relationship with Jesus himself. That requires of you and I space to be with Jesus, as we talked about in our time talking about discipleship. You see, because when we're with Jesus himself, what did he say? What did John say about him? He said he's the word made flesh. You know the word, word there. He's talking about Torah. That's law. The law made flesh. If you want to see how the the law of Moses is supposed to be lived out, it's embodied in Jesus. If you want to see, how, well, this is what the scriptures say. What are we supposed to do with it? How did Jesus live it out? How is Jesus informing your life through the spirit now to live it out? Is the law in stone for you or has the spirit written it on your heart? Last week, I love Pastor Paul's message about the wrist chung ruler. I mentioned it before. He did everything right, didn't he? His GPS was followed precisely. But Jesus said, you lack one thing. Sell everything you have and follow me. And he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He couldn't give up the thing he loved more than Jesus. See, there was no law, like I said, about make sure you sell all your possessions so you can follow God well and show you love him. There's no law written about that. But there is a law that says you shall have no other gods before me. And this man, Jesus had the insight to know this man had put a God in my place. And that's why we can't afford to follow religion over relationship. Because there's loopholes in religion that allow us to live completely unrighteous lives. Jesus is going to say he, he said this in throughout the gospels when he returns to judge the world there's going to be all those who come to him and said we did all this religious activity in your name we even healed people we cast out demons in your name and you know what Jesus is going to say I never knew you I don't think he's going to say that as a dismissive angry thing I think he's going to say you didn't we didn't connect you didn't spend any time with me you didn't actually catch my heart. But they're gonna be like, no, 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 I followed my GPS exactly how it's said to go. But you didn't follow me. The invitation from Jesus for you and I today is this. Will you choose relationship over religion? So perhaps there's a, a tradition you have, maybe maybe there's a practice, something you've held to that's vitally important to Christianity. And the Holy Spirit's just been pointing it out to you, just saying, that right there, that's gonna send you through the Lincoln Tunnel. You can't afford to go that way, he says. Come follow me. This is why Jesus has given you the Holy Spirit. That's the good news. It's the presence of Jesus with you right now. Right now. So I want to invite the worship team to come up. And here's what we're going to do. Um, We feel like God has been doing a lot of stuff in our community in the last week. And so here's what we want to do. Uh, We're going to take communion together. If you need communion, by the way, if you could uh, just put your hand up. Ryan, could you help people find that? Just put your hand up if you need communion. We're going to take communion together. But then what we're going to do is we're just going to open up for a time of prayer and ministry. If you're sensing the Holy Spirit just saying, you know what, I, I, I've made this tradition thing. I've elevated that to, to being biblical, and, and I need to lay that down. Or, or you said, you know, I, I've been too focused on how God moved before, and and I need to pay attention to him, not the movement. We're, we're just going to create space for a couple things, because first, I, I really believe that uh, God was saying this morning that uh, there were some people that needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit today. Maybe you've never been filled, or you need a fresh filling, but your relationship is missing. And and you know, that's the, at the end of the day, none of us can have relationship with Jesus if the Holy Spirit is not there. Jesus said, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. He's gonna be your helper, your comforter, your advocate. He's gonna guide you into all truth. All this stuff we're talking about today, like you can't do any of this without the Spirit empowering and speaking into your life. So that's the first thing. We wanna create space for prayer and ministry. Ryan, would you just come be up available for prayer? Just make some space for people who need prayer. Lindsay, if you could as well. Um, That's the first thing we wanna invite people to get prayer for as we worship in just a moment. The second one is if there's a sense of like religion having power over your life, might feel like fear, might feel like if I don't do this, these people are gonna be really disappointed in me. That's, that's the spirit of religion that needs to break in your life. And the only way it can break is through the unconditional love of the Father saying, I love you even if you never do another thing in my name. That's the second thing. Third, I really feel like there's another call for people who are just desperate for God to move like they've seen him move before. And, and, and this might be just a fresh filling of the spirit, but you need to embrace how God wants to do now. And in order to do that, you might need to let go of and grieve what he did previously. Say, thank you, God, that was amazing. But I'm gonna let that go. I'm ready for the new thing. So if any of those resonate with you, I just wanna invite you after we take communion while we're worshiping. I wanna ask, would you be so bold? Ryan prayed for boldness before. I think that was a good prayer. Would you be so bold as to receive from Jesus through, through the people praying. Receive what you need this morning. If Jesus is putting an invitation on your heart today, don't leave without getting what he has for you. It's not a question of you'll be loved less or loved more if you do it. It's a question of, man, do you want it?